All right. Well, good evening. Thank you so much for allowing me to practice what I've been learning here at school this last semester. So hopefully uh, you won't be pained by too many beginner's mistakes. Um, Just a little update. This is my junior year at Heartland Baptist Bible College. So I have now completed officially five semesters of training, and I have three more left, which seems like a very, very long time. But uh, I'm sure it'll all be gone, I hope, very fast and go very well. So continue to pray for me, and I thank you for that, and uh, do cover your prayers as far as all the Lord's that's been teaching me. It's been a very exciting semester. A lot of different things have happened, and uh, a lot of crazy stuff, but the Lord has taught me a lot through it. And, uh, well, let's get into the text. So Exodus chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 1. So if you turn there with me, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 1. It's actually a sermon that uh, I had to prepare for a homiletics. I've worked on it and continue to work on it, and uh, hopefully the Lord will speak to you through it tonight. So Exodus chapter 33 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thee I seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man put on his ornaments. If you'd skip down to verse 12 with me, there's a lot of context that we're going to have to go through and some different things, so for the sake of time, skip down to verse 12. And in this passage, we find that the Lord is telling the people of Israel that he cannot go with them personally, and he's going to have to send his angel. And it's a time of mourning for the people of Israel. They take off their ornaments, as it says. Moses takes this tent that he calls the tabernacle. Its actual tabernacle at this point had not been constructed. So he takes a tent that apparently he had was a place that he set aside to speak with God. And he takes that outside of the camp. And Moses meets to God face to face. Actually, verse 11 is where we're going to start. And this is the conversation that Moses has with God, pleading with God on behalf of the people of Israel. Verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider this nation is thy people. And he said, this is God speaking, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us, up not, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, this is Moses speaking, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness to pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face. 
for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you today. And I pray you bless this sermon. I pray that you would get me out of the way, that you would help me to communicate this thought, this truth. Now, until we could leave tonight with something that will help us throughout this year, throughout our daily lives, and that we could truly just worship and serve you with our lives. In your prayer, amen. What we find in this passage, in this story, there's a lot of different movements, but in the beginning of the story, we find a crisis. A crisis in the nation of the people of Israel. But what is a crisis? Think about it. It says, well, what might be to a crisis to some might not be a crisis to others. In preparation for the sermon, and in order to under, better understand this particular problem, I conducted a hypothetical survey of different people in various walks of life. So I asked eight-year-old Bobby, what is a crisis to eight-year-old Bobby? And Bobby told me, a crisis is when your mom makes you clean your room. To Bobby, that is a crisis. And I talked to 19-year-old Joe College. What's a crisis? Well, a crisis to 19-year-old Joe College is when you get to class at exactly 7.29 and you realize there's an exam at exactly 7.30 that you have not even heard of before. To him, that's a crisis. To 17-year-old Kimberly, a crisis is when Starbucks runs out of caramel drizzle. Now, that is a crisis. Believe me, I work at Starbucks. It is very difficult to console these people with shattered lives as the result of Loss of caramel drizzle. And to 29-year-old Eddie, a crisis is when the bald spot on the back and the front and the sides of his head just keeps getting larger and larger. That's a crisis. And many people have different crises. Midlife crisis seems to affect many people. And they encounter crises every day. An unknown scholar said, the difference between a problem and a crisis is it's happening to me. That's a crisis. It's when it's happening to me. But the word crisis itself has actually undergone a shift in semantics and how it's used in recent times. By its literal meaning, a crisis is actually a medical term and is defined as the turning point for better or worse in an acute disease or a fever now commonly used as unstable or crucial time or state of affairs in which a decisive change is impending. In nowadays, we think of a crisis as running out of caramel drizzle, but in its original time, it was a medical term and different diseases. One of the diseases I looked up was rheumatic fever and different acute pneumonia and other such diseases. Now, it's not as much of a problem because of modern technology and modern medicine, but in past, they didn't have an ability to lower fevers. That was one of the dangerous things in such diseases, and the fever would continue to get higher and higher in that person's body to the point where that person could no longer handle it and the fever itself would destroy your body. And that was what was called the crisis. It would rise and rise to where it would hit a crisis, a high point to where the patient would either succumb or as a result of treatment or the fighting of the immune system, that disease would subside drastically and it would continue to rise to hit that. And that's what the medical term means. It means that point. Nowadays we use it as 
a, the Cuban Missile Crisis was the, mo- the point in America's history where we came the closest to all-out nuclear war with Russia. That was a crisis. It came very close, and then it instantly subsided. And we find in this passage that the people of Israel have come to a crisis, a life-halting, stomach-turning, course-altering crisis. And the disease that brought this crisis into their lives was the sin of the people of Israel, the sin that they had done and had participated in. See, in the context of this passage in chapter 32 and in previous, the people had just come out of the land of, the land of Egypt. They had just met with God at the Mount of Sinai. And there God himself had spoken to the people of Israel. And he had renewed his covenant with them and told them that he personally was going to take them into the land that he had promised their forefathers generations ago. And then they said, you know what? We can't deal with God ourselves. Moses, you go up and you talk to God because we can't handle him. We can't handle his glory and the smoking fire upon the mountain. So Moses goes up. And you know what happened? The people of Israel became so focused on that, the, the man, the presence of Moses leading them as the symbol of God's leadership, that when he was gone, they said, hey, we need something. We can't do without that. Aaron, you make us gods that we can follow. And the people committed gross idolatry and immorality against the very God that just brought them out of the land of Egypt. They had just experienced victory, and now they are completely going after other gods. This is the first time that God's judgment actually comes to the people of Israel as a nation. And we find that in chapter 32, Moses comes down off the mountain and he throws those tables of stone and breaks them and shatters them into the pieces. And unfortunately, the Levites and Moses calls out, who is on the Lord's side? And they go through and they have to, brother killing brother, to stop the wickedness. And Moses grinds up the calf and he throws it in the water and they have to drink that and there's consequences because of that. And I also find in the end of chapter 32 that God is plaguing the people. But we find right at the beginning of 32, or at the end of 32, the beginning of 33, we find that the people of Israel is kind of hanging in jeopardy. The verdict has yet to come in. God says, the people are repenting, the people are trying to seek after God and they're trying to, and God says, I haven't decided what I'm going to do with you. And then in chapter 33, the judgment comes down. I can remember for myself personally, as a little child, there were times when I felt this same jeopardy for my very life. Sometimes my dad would give me instructions, things to do. I was supposed to, so one time in particular I remember, I was supposed to sweep the side yard. It's a very long side yard, as you know, and I was a very small boy. So that was a lot of work. And in considering weighing out the task over here of spending an hour vigorously sweeping with a broom on concrete that is just going to get dirty again, or coming over here and going into the basement and playing football and pretending like I actually didn't have anything to do except play football seemed like a much better idea, and I definitely opted for that one. Until, as I'm having a joyous and merry time, I look over my shoulder and I see the person of my father. And he knows that the side yard is not swept and I have not done what I'm supposed to be doing. And as I look over my shoulder, I realize that my very life hangs in jeopardy. Now, this is a much more serious time for the people of Israel. It's not a matter of sweeping the side yard or playing football. 
They have sinned against a holy and a mighty God. And now they're waiting for God's judgment. And God's judgment comes down. And what it is, is they are a stiff-necked people. And God has done so much for them. And even though God has just brought them out of the land of Israel, uh, land of Egypt, rather, they go back and they commit the sins. And God says, I can't go with you. I'm going to have to send my angel because if my person goes with you, it is holy and it will consume you because of your sin. Now, God, as a holy and a righteous God, is still keeping his promises as in taking them into the land of Israel through the person of his angel. But he says, I can't go with you. And this is where the crisis happens. The point that something has to happen. And we find that the people of Israel, they laid off, they took off their ornaments, any kind of jewelry, any kind of happy clothes, you might say. They completely, as a nation, put on an act of mourning. And we find that it came to pass in verse 8 that Moses went out into the tabernacle and then all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone in the tabernacle. And in verse 10 it says, And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And we find that as Moses is outside the camp making intercession for them to God, the people are all in humility on their knees waiting for what God is going to say. Because Moses realized that this was a national crisis. That God, without God's presence, they could not go forward. And, and we, have, we have to define what is this exactly idea of presence. And in the definitions that I've looked up, it says presence is the state or fact of existing, occurring, or being present. In the Middle English, via Old French, from the Latin presentia, it means being at hand. It means that God was not going to be with them. And as Moses comes before God, and he says, and as we read in verse 13, Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know you, that I may find grace in this sight. And Moses tells God, consider this nation is thy people. And Moses is begging God to go with them. The people have humbled themselves and are asking God to go with them. And it says in verse 14, and he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. God tells Moses, My presence can go with you now, because the people have sought God and become right with him. And in verse 15, and he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us up not hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with thee? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And God then again agrees with Moses' request. And if you notice, they find the word separated. And herein it shall be known. The reason why this is such a crisis for the people of Israel and for Moses, the fact that he realized this and that they as a nation realized this, is that why were they so upset about this? Because God said they were still going to go into the land. God was still going to fulfill his promises. But the difference is the fact that God himself was not going to go with them. And the reason that is such a big deal for the people of Israel at this very moment is that it's the only thing that made the people of Israel different. 
is the only thing that made them unique was the fact that God himself was with them. Jeremiah and the prophets talked about the gods of the other people of the land and all these peoples that God was going to drive out and that they were gods. They they talked about them going into the woods and cutting down a tree or melting metal and making a god, but they can't answer, they can't do good and they can't do evil because they're not real and they do not affect the lives of the people that worship them. But the difference in the fact that God was not going with them was that Yes, they were still going into the land, but the people of Israel were losing their purpose. Their purpose as the people of Israel was to reflect the person and the uniqueness of their living God to the peoples all around them. And they had lost their purpose in reflecting God's glory because of their own personal sin. And things had to change before God could go with them. And God promises, I will go with you. I now can go with thee. God repents. God turns from not being able to go with them and is now able to go with them. And you say, Christ is resolved. Everything's happy. But it doesn't end here. In fact, we find a shift, a, a different turn. Moses is now no longer talking for the people of Israel as a whole. Moses is talking for himself. And we find in verse 16 or actually, let's pick up in verse 17, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And here in verse 9, 18 rather, it says, and this is Moses speaking, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. We find this request is different than other passages we find in the Bible. Moses having glimpsed God's goodness in his person, in actually changing and repenting and going with the people, Moses having seen a little bit of the goodness of God in going with such a sinful people, that Moses said, God, I want to see more. He says, personally, I need a little more. This is not a matter of national crisis anymore. This is a matter of personal delight in seeing the Almighty God. And he says, show me your glory. And in verse 19, God answers and he said, I will make all my goodness to pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And in verse 20, and he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And as we find in the story, God tells Moses, You can't see all of me because you're a man and you're in sinful flesh. And even though Moses was probably one of the greatest men that ever lived, far greater than anyone in this room, myself in particular, Moses could still not see all of God's glory. But God did something special for Moses. We find in this passage that God poured out more of his glory upon the man of Moses than probably any other person in the Bible. And God, God did something special for him. He set him in the cleft of the rock. And he said he was going to cover his face. And that he was going to pass by. He was not even going to get to see God's face because he couldn't see that, but he was going to be able to see his hinder parts, his backside, and be able to, the voice of an angel would proclaim the goodness of God. And Moses got to do this in, 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 in chapter 34. And we're going to, if you look in verse 5 with me, we find the actual story of what actually happened. And the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there 
and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity upon the fathers, upon, of the fathers, upon the children, and upon the children's children, unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worship. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For as a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. And as it continues, God renews his covenant with the people. Moses got to see the glory of the Almighty God. And the only response that he had is he made haste. That means it was fast. It was instantaneous. He fell on his face before God. And he worshipped and he continued to intercede for the people. And as, as it continues out through the rest of the story and God can um, renews his covenant and Moses has to go get the tables of stone... And God, write, he writes them, and God, he spends 40 days with God up on the mountain. And when he comes down, his very, the very skin of his face shone. And the people of Israel, it's kind of interesting to me, they were so scared of this that Moses had to cover his face. It's the only time in the Bible we find this recorded, that Moses spent so much time with God and his glory and his presence that his face shone. It's an awesome thought. We find in this story... Two different things. First, we have the crisis of the people, their need for God's presence, and we find that resolved. And then we find Moses getting to see the glory of God personally. And you might say, well, there's a little bit of a disconnect here. It's almost like we have two different stories going on. And we find the intercessory prayer of Moses for the people and his own request for himself, but there's one commonality that they both share. And that is this. God went with the people of Israel and revealed His glory to Moses because it is the goodness of God that reveals Himself to mankind and human beings. Think about it. Why did God, such a holy God, take the time to go with such a sinful people of Israel? Why did He take the time to reveal His glory and to do these special things for Moses so that he could see God? Why? Because it is the goodness of God that even takes the time to come down from His throne to spend time with us as human beings. David said in Psalms 8, 3-4, When I consider the heavens... The work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visited him? When you consider the matchless, infinite expanses of space, and the holiness of an almighty God, and the tininess in comparison, and the worthlessness of man and mankind, why is God? Even, like we might say, wasting his time. But you know what? This passage is very special. And every passage in the Bible is special because it is about God and not about the prayer of Moses or the things that Moses did to that, so that God did reveal himself. It is about God revealing himself both to mankind and to individuals. 
And as believers today, God is still good. Which means that he still wants to meet with man. God, the almighty God, still wants to meet with us today. He's still good. He hasn't changed. In fact, if you think about it, God can't even get better. Because he already is the most superlative best. God can't get better and he can't get worse. God is still good. And because he is good, he wants to reveal himself to us. Not only to us, but to all of mankind. And I can't give you a three-step program in this new year. You're going to ascertain the glory of God through A, B, and C, and they're all alliterated because I've been to Bible college, and that makes it spiritual. No, I can't give you that. But I can give you some different aspects that we find about how God revealed himself to Moses. The revelation of the glory of God is on a personal level. Unlike the corporate presence of God that went with the entire people, the fact that God was at hand with the people and he was there responding to them with a pillar of a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. I mean, I think that's just awesome. Like, at any time, the people of Israel never had to wonder, hmm, I wonder where God is. There was a pillar of a cloud right there all day long. And at night, there was fire, a beautiful nightlight. That kept the animals and other people away. No one never attacked the people of Israel at night because there was this pillar of fire. And I would have been a little scared of that personally. They never had to wonder about that. But for Moses individually, it was on a personal level. And God meets with us as individuals. And secondly, there's another thing. It must be sought after God's way. As we find in the garden... Not in the garden, but in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, after the garden, Cain and Abel. We find two different people both seeking after God. And one was accepted and the other one was not. And Cain was not accepted because he brought of his own works unto God. And Abel was accepted because he came after God, God's way. It's still the same today. When we seek after God, we must come after God, His way. And it will always result... Whenever you come face to face with the work of God, with the glory of God, with the fact that he is dealing with us as humans, you will always result in a complete prostration of the believer. When you realize that God is great and that God is working in your life, you will always stop and say, wow, God is great and God is good. And today, we must actively seek God in his plan if we are going to see his glory. God reveals himself to us through his word. It's right here. It's right here. God's word has the power to change our lives. But you know what? It doesn't do so when it's like this. This little cover, it protects it, but it also keeps, I can't see through this. It has to be open and we have to be reading it for God to work in our lives. In a, in a real life situation, when you've been meditating upon the word of God, you'll be able to respond biblically to that person who annoys you, whether that be at work, little siblings at home, family. Regardless of the person or the situation, when you've been meditating upon the word and you realize God's goodness to you, You can respond biblically to others because why would you not respond in that way when God has done so much for you? And we can speak back to God through prayer and supplication. 
This is the way that we respond to God. And God can respond to us through prayer. You'll never see the glory and the majesty and the presence of God if you're not reading your Bible and you're not praying and you're not following His will. And prayer, it doesn't change God. As Pastor Pete has said many times, prayer does not change God. It changes us so God can use us. And so God, we can see God through his word, and through his prayer we can communicate with him. As we find in this story, a beautiful story, regardless of the sin of the people of Israel, because they humbled themselves, and because of the very goodness of God, and through the intercessory prayer of Moses, God went with the people, and they went into the land. And yes, they failed, but yes, God was mighty. And the people of the land feared God as a result of the people of Israel following God into the land eventually through Joshua. Because that was God's plan in the Old Testament for revealing himself to all of mankind. Because when the people of Israel were in the presence of God and they were had the presence of God, then God, through their changed lives, was able to reveal himself to the world at whole to the mankind at large, were able to see the goodness of God in His presence and His responses to the people of Israel. Today, now we've got to be careful because the church is not Israel and there are promises to Israel and promises to the church, so we can't put those two together. We'll end up in a lot of heresy if we take that to its end. So we have to be careful there. But, but in today, right now, in this church, at Open Door Bible Baptist Church, This is God's plan for revealing himself to mankind. In this group as a whole, in the fact that when God's presence is here, when people walk in, when we have visitors, there is a difference between going to the Catholic Church and going to a Mass or going down to the Jehovah's Witness and whatever weird things they do over there. The difference is the fact that is when God's presence is here and the fact that God responds to us and takes care of us. That's the difference. And that's only going to happen just like Moses' face was shining. Now, unfortunately, today I can't promise you that your face is just going to glow with a beautiful radiance. I'm not really sure how that would even happen. But through your changed life, others can see God. In conclusion, is the goodness of God to reveal himself to us. And when we seek his face through his word and through prayer, and through trusting in his plan, and when we see God work on our behalf, we get to see the glory of God. And he reveals himself to us. Then through our changed lives, his person is revealed to the world. So in this new year, 2018, it's good to still be alive. Let's fulfill our ultimate purpose. As a believer, as Christians, our ultimate purpose is to seek God in all of his glory, and reflect that glory to the world. It's not to binge watch TV shows. It's not to pay your bills. It's not to do anything else. The point of our lives as Christians is to seek God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you today.